This is AutoLine Extra, available exclusively on the internet. Here again is John McElroy. Welcome to our internet discussion with Johan Denison, the president of Audi of America, with David Welch from Business Week and Scott Burgess from the Detroit News. You got it. Yeah. How high up uh, can can the Audi brand reach? You know, in terms of, you know, maybe S six hundred or Bentley sort of pricing. Can can you get, you know, six figure pricing on on big luxurious sedans and, and go well above where the A eight is now? Talk about that a bit, Johan. Well, you know, we have, um, through our Audi exclusive program, which is a program whereby customers can really customize their cars, uh, we have once had uh, a customer who uh, uh, spec'd his Audi A8 uh, W12 to just shy of 500,000 euros. So I guess uh, that gives an indication of how high you can go. This must have been an armored car. But uh, it wasn't, actually. Uh, what uh, you can do, um, we, we obviously want to position ourselves within the whole group portfolio of brands. And I think um, that you will begin to see in the future too, cars of the caliber of the W12, but looking ahead where uh, technology is taking us and where concerns for the environment is taking us, um, the cars may uh, be priced above it, but maybe not have 12-cylinder engines. And, uh, but the performance and the luxury uh, will all be there. And uh, I would say that uh, a mainstream Audi could quite comfortably live in the zone uh, north of $150,000 in today's terms. That's quite a ways up from where you are. What's, what's the, the most, I mean, non-customized A8 will get up to now? We're not even at six figures yet. Yeah, well, you know, uh, if you look at where the R8 is today, uh, a typically equipped R8 is already around $150,000, and we still have the V10 to come, and then we have derivatives of those to come, uh, and these cars are doing rather well for us. Uh, I think uh, the A8, yeah, you can get armored cars, of course, that add a great deal of cost. Um, I uh, personally drove uh, a, uh, a car, uh, W12A8, that um, in terms of the specification was uh, north of $130,000. We had a car that was commissioned for um, the Audi Forum in New York uh, as an exhibit car that was um, just shy of $170,000, and a customer walked in and bought it off the floor before this place had opened. Um, wow. There are customers who do that. Interesting, the rich are always with us. <laughs> That's true. Audi has put a lot of emphasis on motorsports, especially uh, the American Le Mans series and, uh, and racing at Le Mans, to great success in racing. My question is, does that really play for Audi in America? In Europe, no question it does. I think European people by and large are more aware of and, and more influenced by what's going on in motor racing. Does that happen here? Has the success in the American Le Mans series helped Audi's image and sales? Mm -hmm. I think one of the challenges for us um, is the fact that the American Le Mans series, although it is actually very, very popular and has uh, seen uh, growing acceptance and, and coverage and, and, and spectator um, numbers, uh, the mainstay of U.S. racing is, of course, NASCAR. And uh, NASCAR is at the antithesis of Audi. And uh, we will continue to be a company that 
is involved in high-tech forms of motorsport. And uh, at the moment, that means the American Le Mans series. We have uh, a temporary intermission, if you like, in our involvement in the, in the program this year due to the economic environment. Uh, but motorsport is part of our heritage. It's who Audi is. Uh, I don't subscribe to this idea if you race or win on Sunday, you sell on Monday. Uh, but it gives you credibility for your brand claim. Uh, and in actual fact, there is a lot of technology that gets developed for the race cars that eventually finds their way into the road cars. Um, and uh, it's part of what we do. And so um, I think it does resonate well for us. We have um, certainly captured a, quite a sizable following of enthusiasts through our Lamar program. It's part of making the brand popular. And uh, I look forward to us getting back into the program. When are we going to see uh, Audi show up in, in some high-profile movie to really get the brand out there? Uh, you know, you, you've seen various brands do that. With, with Mini did it, of course, with probably the most successfully with the Italian job. Is that something you'd, you'd consider to really get the brand more awareness? Well, um, slightly tongue-in-cheek, I would say to you, David, you don't get out much. Uh, maybe I don't. <laughs> <laughs> just I'm off of my hands. Uh, Iron Man was a big transporter movie. Uh, we, I did see Iron Man. We, we really are uh, <laughs> seeing movie placements as uh, an important um, avenue for us. But right is James Bond driven one yet? And uh, actually, there was a time some years ago when uh, James Bond uh, was uh, was in, in, in the Audi. But um, I think uh, seriously, though, um, this is part of business today. And um, the the guys in Hollywood, uh, being astute businessmen, have recognized this. And uh, we have, in fact, uh, a full time team. Uh, engaged in looking at scripts, at uh, assessing potential for product placement, and uh, great movies such as Iron Man uh, really are um, supreme placement opportunities for us, and uh, we've done so successfully, and you'll see more of it uh, in, in, in the future. Now, you've, you've beaten BMW in Europe. Can you beat BMW in Southern California? You know, I must be really sincere and tell you that I have no aspiration to beat BMW uh, in the US or anywhere. Um, I want to focus on getting Audis parked in the right driveways more than I want to worry about getting them parked in as many driveways as possible. Mm -hmm. Driver profile is a very important element of the shaping and building of a brand. Um, Audi years ago when it said we are now a separate and autonomous company from Volkswagen, we are play positioning our brand differently and we're going to take control of our own destiny. I'm going back to the early 90s when Dr. Piech was heading up the company, um, set on its path and um, we have followed that strategy very, very consistently. But we chose to start with Europe as our bridgehead for our global plans. Um, and I think when you get to number one in Europe, you can say you've done quite well. You need to make the brand, brand more global now. We are also number one in China, the second largest car market in the world now. Uh, no, the first largest. And well, <laughs> China has beat the U.S. now for three months straight. That's true. That's true. Um, our focus now certainly has to be the U.S. And uh, our brand development here has not been uh, as strong as it has been in Europe. And that's what we're about now. And the first focus has got to be, and building brands takes a long time. You cannot rush it. 
And uh, I would say that for the next 10 years, our focus is solely going to be building brand, building brand, re building reputation. And uh, sales are the result of a process. And uh, we are focusing still on the process. And the sales will come. How big is too big for a luxury brand? Can you get to a point where you're, you're too ubiquitous and you... You, you know, that really is a very good question. And um, I, would, um, I would say that one has to be very careful about that. There certainly is a point at which the level of accessibility to the brand um, begins to be an undermining factor for where you want to position it. Um, I can imagine that the company executive or the chairman who drives in with um, his big luxury car um, is somewhat taken aback if he then finds the um, junior clerk down in the filing room is driving the same brand of car and parked next to him. That doesn't work. And uh, I think one has to therefore remember and stay true to yourself. Uh, you're either a luxury brand or you're a volume brand. Obviously, that doesn't mean that you don't want to continue to grow. All brands, all companies, all organizations want to continue to grow. But uh, the growth has got to come from good quality business. And uh, if you seek to just do volume for the sake of uh, volume, you will ultimately undermine the strength of your business. Boy, that is so true. You know, that's exactly what I think killed Cadillac's cachet as a luxury brand in the 1970s. They more than doubled their sales, which they thought was terrific at the time. But to your exact point, it became too ubiquitous. Cadillacs were everywhere. They were not something to aspire to. They were everywhere, which, which leads me to a question. Uh, until recently, Audi has really been advertising its engineering. Now I'm starting to see, based on what you're uh, saying here, I'm starting to understand some of your advertising. You, you've got a, a great uh, clip now or ad now where all these kids are running out of a school and there's this long line of beige Lexus RXs and then this one Audi comes up, an X or a Q5 I think it is, and the kid runs out and the whole message is you don't have to be like everybody else. Yeah, it's all luxury. Talk a little bit about that, of how you're trying to separate Audi from, from the other luxury brands that are out there. I think it's an important point that when you are a luxury car buyer, you are seeking to express your individuality. You want to separate yourself a little bit from the rest of the people. Whether that is uh, uh, something people would choose to admit or not remains to be seen, but I think that is ultimately a, a true motivating behavior. And uh, that gets really nicely back to the point you made earlier, is that you can become too successful. And you use this particular example. Lexus controls 70% of the market segment for luxury compact SUVs. It is ubiquitous. And especially the beige RX model is to be seen everywhere. And we are using the approach specifically to appeal to the individuality of people, that we don't want to be seen to be the same as everyone else, because each one of us is proud of who we are. And especially if you're looking at more expensive purchases, you are different. Uh, and you want to be seen as discerning and not follow the herd. And certainly the people who buy Audis are individualists. And uh, given that we are entering into this market segment um, newly for the first time, uh, we have to conquest. And uh, we figured who best to target than the market leader. And it seems to be working very well. Uh, how do you separate your brand from, from BMW more so than you already have? I mean, there's a video on the web and you know that I've seen where, I, I think it's in Santa Monica, they said there's a billboard that has 
and, and it's really lousy quality, so I couldn't tell whether it was an A4 or an A6, frankly, but it said, uh, you know, it said, your move, BMW, and it's got this Audi, and then BMW put one up next to it and above it that has a picture of one of their cars, and it says, checkmate. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys put the billboard up that said your move BMW, but it certainly has this sort of, you know, we're competing with the other sport luxury German engineered brand. How do you really separate yourself from that so you can start to, you know, kind of carve your own way? I, mean, I know you've, you've done quite a bit with that already, but what, what's the next step for that? The, the thing for us was we, we recognized that um, American consumers didn't truly understand who Audi is, what we represent, or where the brand is positioned. And so we wanted to take on a little bit of a more assertive tone to our communication. And part of that is to be a little bit provocative, not in a, in a charming way, not in a, in a confrontational way, um, where you use provable product characteristics and product substance to challenge the competition. Uh, this particular campaign that you referred to was the A4, and uh, where we had independent third-party tests verify the fact that the A4 offered more interior room, more luggage room, um, was faster from zero to 60, faster from 60 to zero, and had better fuel consumption. So kind of all the key metrics, the car had a compelling advantage. Uh, and was positioned against the BMW 3 Series, in which this case was again the segment leader. So. Um, it is part of um, the, the move to, to disturb the equilibrium, if you like, uh, to get people to consider Audi, to recognize, and even if we could only provoke a little bit of interest to say, well, who is this brand? Let me find out more so that we can expose them to the products, get them uh, to the showrooms. And by the way, our showroom traffic has uh, just gone one way, and that's up. So the campaign is working. Uh, and of course, you must anticipate uh, response from your competitors. Uh, it wouldn't be fun otherwise if, if, if that didn't happen. And uh, I want to um, say, you know, what one has to be really careful about is to never disparage your competition. I don't think that's professional, and I don't think that wins you uh, any, uh, any friends. And uh, the way the banter is going on, I think, is friendly. Uh, it's fun, and uh, we'll probably see more of it. Well, good with that. We should probably wrap up this part of the discussion. But, Johan, again, thanks so much for coming back on Autoline Detroit. Great having you. And Dave and Scott, thank you guys too, and thank all of you who have tuned in on the web.